Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. Hello there and welcome to episode 80 of Spark of Rebellion. Coming up this week, we have a review, our obviously fantastically in-depth review of The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1, entitled The Marshal. What did we think of it? What are the ups, what are the downs, the controversies, the Easter eggs, and of course, plenty of spoilers. So just a fair warning on that, we are going to go deep into Mandalorian territory and we are going to assume that if you're listening to this, that you have watched The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. So spoilers be abound. But look, before I do that, I'm going to give a quick shout out to the uh, to the people over on Patreon, the people that join the Sparker Rebellion crew and just help us to produce this show and keep it something that we love doing every week. So thank you to Pascal and to Chris and to Sean and to Tom and everyone that supports us over there. And if you want to join that crew, if you want to join the tribe, in the Razor Crest, then you can do the same by visiting patreon.com slash sparkerrebellion. It's also a great way to get your hands on some swag, as well as supporting Gaz and I in the production of the show. And if you want to chat Mandalorian, hit us up on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Find us on there. Just do a search for Spark of Rebellion and we will, you know, we'll have a bit of back and forth, have a bit of bants, you know. We'll just dig into what you think. We'll be over there whenever you need us. Now... Without further ado, it is time to chat Mandalorian with the man himself. The uh, the second best looking Wookiee in the entire galaxy. The guy that puts the man into Mandalorian. It is Mr. Gary Aylett. How are you doing, dude? Afternoon. I'm all, all right. good. Thank you very much. We are the mans behind the Mando in the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. You put the man into it. I put the like the Ryan, like the Ryan Johnson into it. Do you know what I mean? The average. No, oh, don't don't sell yourself short, man. Come on. I'm sorry, Matt. We pilot a Corellian, you know, ship. That's that's not easy work. That is true, actually. That is yeah. true. Fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. How's your week been, man? What have you been up to? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, fairly busy with the old day job and stuff. Plus, I've got a couple of other projects on. There's this one company just riding me, man, hard, getting me to do stuff all the time. Really nitpicky with design stuff, and yeah, it's just a an absolute nightmare. But other than that, yeah, it's pretty good, dude. It's um weekends going okay as well. I've got uh, I'm missing the rugby for this, mate. This is a this is a big thing. Uh, Wales are playing, sorry, my team, my country. So it, it, this is a the big commitment. The old Star Wars and the Mando, and I'm doing it for you, really, because you know, second mate. Oh yeah, no, I know you are, and I appreciate that. And uh, just back to that, you know. Back to that coming that's riding your hard. They see the suit, but they, they know I'm rock and roll through and through. You know? <laughs> they do. They do. You wanna, watch what you say, mate. You still have a bloody mutiny on your hands. Who else would think they're right. doing this, all? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, it's been a bit of a quiet week for me as well, Star Wars-wise. But I did, you can't see this, you know, if, if we ever start streaming this to YouTube. Um, I'm showing Gaz now on the old Zoom call. Um, I've started building the, uh, the, the Star Wars Stormtrooper Lego head, the helmet which is pretty badass. Um, so that's been my real week in uh, in Star Wars. 
that's all I've done really um, this week. But like, who designs these things, dude? Like, they're genius. A computer. What? Somewhere. No, no. I think it's a combination of like, uh, I, I've got this really lovely thought in my head of the dudes over in, where's the Lego head office? It's somewhere in, uh, is it Denmark or? I'm Probably Sweden. Sweden, some, somewhere like that. I've got this lovely vision in my head of like a dude in a room surrounded by Star Wars posters and reference material. And he's got like a bajillion bricks in front of him. And that's all he does all day is just mess around with bricks and get all that stuff doing. But I think in reality, it's probably a combination of that to a degree, but then some kind of really clever Lego AI algorithm thing that says like, you probably need this brick there, mate. Oh, cool. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Well, I would have done, but it would have taken me a week. Just a fella. I think it's just a fella, mate. I'd like to think so. And I reckon, so we just finished watching Breaking Bad, and, and I reckon it's Star like Wars Jesse. Fan. Sorry, there's a yeah, dude. he's not a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, dude, you just lock him in a basement like they did with Jesse on Breaking Bad, and they're just, you know, like um, in Street Fighter, how they turn, they turn the guy Charlie into Blanca by just just putting violence and stuff in front of his eyes. I reckon this Lego guy in Shvidan or whatever it is, is just, his eyes are pinned open, and it's just got the prequel trilogy on repeat. Yeah, man. Yeah, and yeah. The boss uh, is that's like, exactly how it goes. Yeah, the boss is like, you're a Star Wars fan, aren't you? He's like, no, hate Star Wars, love Star Trek. He's like, uh, same thing. Get in there and do some Star Wars. So he's like, oh, for God's sake. So what are you done with that's your That's how day? it goes, yeah. man. Yeah. Obviously, the uh, that's complete speculation, conjecture, and of course, hashtag bants. Uh, we've got no representation at all with Lego on that one and just want to cover our asses. Um, just to say that, that is not testimony at all in any way or any form. Now let's get into the Mandalorian <laughs> before we get ourselves into some Lego-based trouble. So it's Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 1. It came around. It's come around a lot quicker than we thought it would. It's, it doesn't feel like two minutes since we were all lapping it up the first time. And uh, what I thought we'd do, guys, is do a bit of a review of it, but just, you know, start with a bit of a first thought. You know, a one sentence, what did you think? And then let's get into the nuances and some of the details. So first thought, do one sentence, what did you think of the Mandalorian Season 2 premiere i thought really strong start a lot more references to the rest of star wars than what we had in season one and a really good continuation from season two what about you very similar mate i think it 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 did a good job of of pulling itself off the back of season one without having to answer any of the big questions while setting up a bit of a springboard for the remaining nine episodes. So yeah, very, very good, man. Um, so what I thought I'd do is kind of break it down into a few different sections. And, and, and the first one that I wanted to talk about, because the other stuff is kind of a lot bigger and we'll get into this. Um, uh, there'll be a lot, a hell of a lot to talk about. But the first thing, dude, visually, like they have not taken the foot off the pedal with this. It just looks stunning, doesn't it? And considering they were doing it a little bit kind of through lockdown and I know they got the season two filming wrapped up just about pre-lockdown, but dude... Tatooine never looked so good. Oh, mate. Yeah, with you on that one. It's um, And they managed to somehow... I know it's questionably easier to do that now because... Or is it? I don't know. So if you were, if you were to try and match the kind of look and feel of Tunisia that they used to film the original New Hope and stuff, there is an argument to say that because they're doing that on a giant video wall, it's slightly easy to do that because you can colour grade it on the fly as well as in post and really dial that in and make it look 
like a new hope to a degree i'm not an expert on that stuff but it really did look amazing like you felt like yeah that really good mixture of it felt like you were on tatooine back on the new hope days because you saw those little outposts and those little domed buildings and a little you know it just looked so authentic but at the same time it had that amazing like modern you could just tell that the the tech is there to make it just look just super sharp and lovely and yeah so visual wise man and the cinematography just bang on just like season one for sure it really is well thought out and well designed and i think when you look at some of the cut jumps and 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 the way that they do um you know everything from the swipes to the kind of spirals or the you know the circular kind of swipes that you see on there it's all very star wars and it's it, it kind of you know like i said i've come off just just watching breaking bad again and it kind of reminds me a little bit of the similar cinematography of that to a degree where everything's very much very basic simple stuff like the whole just the very standard rule of thirds stuff that you see in breaking bad and you see that in the mandalorian and it works so well because um, it really stands out as just like if you're not really into cinematography or if you're not into if you don't have a visual eye like you know th- that's what we do you know arguably you know I, I like sort of the visual element of the photography side and you're a designer and it's it you see things a little bit differently but even if like my mum watching it she she wouldn't necessarily know why it looked so good she would just say it looked that good because and it, 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 that that level of thoughtfulness that detail that goes into framing every shot and even. You know, when you saw Mando on the speed bike, and it just, it is just pure, simple rule of third stuff, and he's right there in the centre, and he just tracks, just like Luke did back in A New Hope, in his, uh, in his little speeder, just like you see um, many of the ships, you know, if you see any of the X-Wings and so on from Force Awakens, you know, when they first land on um, Takodana, and, you know, when they, they, they skirt across the top of the water, it's the first time you see the X-Wings in the sequel trilogy. All of that is very similar stuff. And it ju- there's a reason that it works. And the Mandalorian just kind of takes this to a whole other level, man. It just, it looks fantastic. And you're right, it's like seeing the little domed huts. It was like, you know, it was like seeing Obi-Wan and, 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 his, and his little, you know, it was like this guy lived the other side of the Dune Sea. Of course this is what's going on here. Um, so, you know, props to people on that. I think it's just very, very well done. Is that, do you think that's something that we're going to see a lot of in things like the Obi-Wan season, because we've got arguably Tatooine. We don't, we don't know whether he's going to, you know, he's going to leave the planet, but or whether he'll even be on Tatooine. Um, but obviously it's filmed using the same technology, isn't it? So do you think it's, you know, is that the level we can expect now from Disney Plus and, and Star Wars? I would say so, yeah. I think I'm 99% sure that the, the majority of the Obi-Wan stuff we're going to see will look almost identical to the stuff that we're seeing now in the Mando. I think there's... If it's going to be set on the same planet, I'm not sure about the timeline exactly, but if it's going to be set on the same planet, then why not just reuse a bunch of all that reference stuff that you've already spent millions of dollars making for the Mando? If it's going to be the same place, just do that. You know, just use that stuff. And I think the the Obi-Wan series will use a lot of that stuff. I imagine if you, in years to, well, however many years it takes for that to come out, if you were to just do a side-by-side to like, screenshots whatever um you'll you'll probably see that they look almost the same because why not you know both on tatooine just use it for consistency sake as well if you ever wanted to link them together especially um if some do some kind of crossover like i said i'm not sure on the timeline exactly for obi-wan yet but you could always do a bit of a crossover yeah man totally agree and 
let's get into the story then, because that, that kind of leads me nicely into it, because there are a few characters that, you know, they're, 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 they're a native uh, to Tatooine that we saw, um, that we'll get into in a sec, that, you know, arguably could make an appearance in the, the Obi-Wan season, that, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a one-off season by all accounts at the minute, but... One thing that I just want to kind of preface with this is that this entire story from the second he landed on Tatooine, so we'll get to the, you know, we'll get to the kind of precursor stuff um, in a second, but just to preface with, it felt, this entire thing felt to me like, you know, when you read the James Lucino Obi-Wan book, the Kenobi book, the one that was, that is, that is just about out of canon because of a couple of things that are in there, but, you know, it was released just before Lucasfilm got bought by Disney. And I don't think there's anything that contradicts canon anyway, to be fair. Dude, this entire thing, this entire episode felt like it could have been plucked from that book. Everything from the Tuscan Raiders, uh, everything that you see in their camp, you know, it was very much Attack of the Clones, Anakin going through and ripping the tents to pieces. That like It was it was th this outpost that they found themselves at. Um, it all felt very much like you could have slotted Obi Wan from that James Lucino novel into it, and you would have he would have been there, and he would have been he would have been Ben Kenobi, and he'd, be, he'd have been trying to settle into Tatooine. Like they really, it's almost like they went for that kind of vibe with it, you know. Um, and I don't know if that's just me romanticizing it, but it doesn't. It, it just feels like something pulled straight from the old books. Yeah, it did. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking that while I was watching it. I think. Um this whole concept of, and like Mark said, we are going to go a bit spoilery with this. So if you haven't seen it yet, then uh, then pause until you, and, and come back after you've seen it. But the, the climax of that book is the, the the showdown, isn't it, with the outpost people and the Tuscan Raiders and stuff like that. It's almost that, but just to a next level. So that stuff has already happened in this story, like the little town where this takes place for the, the bulk of it, which is called um, uh, Mos Pelgo that's already happened the tuscan raiders have invaded this place before they've had a bit of a skirmish and stuff and now they've progressed that and thanks to the mandalorian and the marshal they've kind of worked this deal out where they can all take down the crate dragon together then they won't raid anymore you know everyone's happy sort of thing so that whole story that the theme felt very much like that book like if you if that guy had wrote another book like a sequel to it i could imagine all of this stuff would be in that sequel um, you know, minus the Mandalorian stuff. But yeah, I'm totally with you on that, dude. I felt that a couple of times as I was watching it through. I was like, ah, oh, this is just like that Obi-Wan book. There's just like the themes, the thematic material is very, very reminiscent of that. So yeah, I completely agree, dude. And that's not a bad thing because that book, that book's very cool. It is. And I, what, one thing that really drew me to that was the, um, and we'll get into the kind of plot in a second, but just the way that they tried to humanize to a degree the Tuscan Raiders. Um, you know, you, you, you saw, I mean, it, it, everything was very Tatooine on that. Everything from the crate dragon noises that obviously Obi-Wan used back in A New Hope to scare off the Tuscan Raiders. Like, this was like a full circle thing. You know, it was very much, okay, now I understand why these guys are terrified of this thing. So that's, of course, that's why he used that noise. And what was fascinating about that was that you, th th there's a, in that in that Kenobi book, that Lucino book, is that there's, there's that humanization of, um, you know, the villain essentially becomes a Tuscan Raider 
he, he, he become you know loses his speech and he gets bandaged up and he just he lives begins to live the life and turn into a Tuscan Raider. Um, and I, I, it was fascinating to see them trying to humanize the Tuscan Raiders to a degree with that. And it, it's not even a huge plot point. Um, you know, maybe it'll come back later down the wire. You know, the, 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 this is something we'll dig into again in a set. But you know, the Mandalorian said he met the Tuscans before. He said that he had um, he'd got an affinity for them. He could speak their language. You know, that is obviously lining something potentially up for later with some allies, and of course with the Marshal as well. But as I said, we'll get to that in a second. But it was it feels like um, you know they purposely wanted to do something that the Mandalorian did very well in season one as well, which is focus. Not just on the spectacle of a crate dragon or a Mandalorian flying with his jetpack or some of the Easter eggy stuff that we're going to talk about in a sec, but it was the character. It was, these are Tusken Raiders. All you know of them is that they take things, they raid things, and Obi-Wan scared them off to save Luke. That was the catalyst for A New Hope. But actually, look, there's more to it than this. It, that's so refreshing to see that, man, especially from Disney, because you know what it's like. They announce stuff and they feel like they're rushing it. And then suddenly we get this and it's released and nothing about it's rushed. It's just really pleasantly surprising. Yeah, which is a surprise in itself. I think it's, um, we have so many, you and I do so many shows week in, week out where we're like, right, Disney are going to do this or they're going to do that or they've planned this or they've cancelled that. Whereas The Mandalorian just seems to be like this real grounded, uh, just, you can just rely on, I think the best way to say it is you can rely on the Mandalorian. I think it earned its stripes with season one to be this real solid, well-written, well-produced show with some really good characters. And now you've got all this other faff sort of going on in the background with all these films and trilogies and will they, won't they? Whereas Disney are now like, okay, like you said, um, they announce stuff and then we don't know, but now you've got the Mandalorian sort of just really steadily just going through um, having these awesome um, episodes coming out week in, week out as we go through each season. And these things happen and you're like, well, that doesn't, on one hand, it's like that doesn't feel very Disney because they haven't hyped it for a year and then they haven't hyped it and changed it and cancelled it and brought it back. Whereas now it's like, yeah, man, this this stuff's happening and we sometimes don't even know about it. Like some of these things, like we had no idea about exactly what was going to happen with the Tuscan Raiders and these people at the outpost and this little town and, you know, who the marshal was or any of that gumph. It's just awesomely there. And, you know, it doesn't need all of that huge fanfare and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm with you, dude. It's, um, yeah, it's, it feels very Disney on one hand or what the Star Wars of the Disney era should be like. But on the other hand, it doesn't feel like Disney. It's kind of a weird, maybe that's down to people like Favreau just really pushing it through and putting their foot down with certain things. But no, I read you, man. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, I think that's a perfect segue into the plot. We'll get to get to the plot. And I think the, the, the thing that underpins all of this is it's very, very clear that Dave Filoni has got, you know, he, he's really got his hands on this. He's really got his hands on this. Like everything is steeped in law, um, and and you can tell Favreau. You know, if you look back at what what Favreau's done, I always use Iron Man, and 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 then on the other complete other side of the spectrum, things like Chef. You know, two films that couldn't be further apart from each other that John Favreau was a part of, uh, a huge part of, that are so massively character driven that they, in the in the case of Chef, you know, they made you want to watch a movie about something that shouldn't even be a movie, and. Then with Iron Man, they made you want to basically learn more about every facet 
of the entire universe, all based on something that Favreau put together and, uh, around one actor in Downey Jr. And it feels like he's done it again with this mysterious Mandalorian character. And I think, you know, Filoni, I mean, I, I, how he's not writing the movies, I don't know. You know, I've got <laughs> no idea how he's not writing the movies. Um, but let's get to the plot. So just to kind of very, very quickly recap the plot, we find the Mandalorian essentially kind of a, a bit of an outcast. You know, he's got the child, he's got Baby Yoda, and a, l- a little bit, in my view, a little bit of a contrivance in that the armorer had, had told him to seek out, in lieu of, sadly, the other Mandalorians that perished at the end of season one, which, you know, may or may not have been the Death Watch people, um, you know, the guys that basically bailed him out from Grief Cargo last year um, when they all swooped in with the jetpacks, which was just a season one badass moment. Um, sadly, those those guys are decimated. He's been told by the armorer to reunite the child with its own kind. Of course, we don't know what its own kind is. George Lucas strictly apparently told them, never reveal that. But, you know, here we are. And apparently he needs more Mandalorians. So finds himself, you know, at a little naughty Gamorrean fight club, you know, the first rule of fight club is kill everyone in there if you're the Mandalorian. And basically, we embark on a journey to Tatooine where apparently there is another Mandalorian, which turns out to be Cobb Vanth. And they strike a deal because, of course, the Marshal Cobb Vanth, he's got the Boba Fett armour. Mando wants it back because of his creed, everything that goes along with the belief system with the Mandalorians, and they make a trade to kill the crate dragon that's been terrorising, and so on and so forth, and we see that, and we've got a big, big Easter egg at the end that we'll get to in just a second. So, I mean, it was a solid start. You know, I, I was a little kind of, personally, I was a little bit worried about how long the freak of the week part of it took. Like, I thought the first 15 minutes were solid, and then I felt... Personally, I felt like the Crate Dragon part went on for a little bit too long because it was a little bit freak of the weeky. Um, I've got some ideas around why that is, but I think it felt a little bit long in places just because it was like, all right, look, we've waited all this time for the Mandalorian. Let's push the mythology along, not just this weekly storyline. Um, but I think it's really to do with setting up the relationship with the Tuscans, the relationship with the Marshal for the future, and in particular, giving us a bit of a MacGuffin, a bit of a gambit, to uh, explain perhaps another plot point that we'll find out about later in the series um, regarding one bounty hunter, knee deceased. Um, <laughs> so it was an all right plot. Uh, what did you think of it, man? How was it? You know, how was the pacing for you? How was the storyline for you? How did you feel that that kind of tracked? Hmm. Yeah. So I felt the the, the storyline was solid, be, um, mainly because we haven't really seen many crate dragons in the world of Star Wars. We've seen them a couple of times in video games, but we've not seen them on the big screen. So it was really cool from that perspective to, although, like you said, it is a bit of a, um, it's the sort of creature of the week, X-Files-y kind of vibe to it. Uh, It was still kind of cool because it was a solid, like, you know, everybody knows, well, most Star Wars fans know the old, like the old crate dragon thing that happens on Tatooine and the whole, the old Obi-Wan Alec Guinness style crate dragons. So all of that stuff was really cool. And that goes back to what we were saying um, that you said earlier about just, you can tell Dave Filoni's on that bit. That's, that's his vibe. It feels like very quite Star Wars history based and lore and stuff. But then in terms of pacing, I think because of that, the, the rest of the, the rest of the story felt a little bit, laboured in terms of pacing until the finale at the end with the big showdown with the crate dragon up to that point 
the it was it kind of slowed down a little bit because we had the really good opening with um with the Mando going to the Fight Club and uh, and seeing the um uh, Gore Koresh that criminal dude so that was all kind of exciting and good like the showdown you know is that really funny bit in the trailer as well where he gets his little uh, wrist rockets fired up and then Baby Yoda ducks down under his thing you know that that was all cool and but then it slows down a lot and I think the reason for that is we needed a really a real good chunk of time to establish exactly who this martial character was or is sorry how he came about the armor and then like you said this whole uh, allegiance with the or a truce with the sand people and getting to know them a little bit more and a bit deeper so i think you have to do that via some slightly slower scenes it can't be kind of lethal weapon style music and action the whole way through otherwise you can't you can't have that kind of emotional attachment to the characters and what's going on so i get it it does it it does feel a little bit creature of the week and a bit not quite as quickly paced as some of the other um chapters within season one but i think this is a really good setup for the season as a whole though i think if we had this kind of episode maybe halfway in people would complain that it started strong and now it's dipped a little bit so i feel like you get this stuff and you get the setups done now like especially with the marshal i think we're going to see him again at least one more time because they kind of they kind of did that in a literal sense towards the end where they shook hands you know and the marshal's like you know i'd love to work with you again it's like oh okay you're effectively telling us that these two are going to meet up again so just getting these setups done now and then you can progress the whole baby yoda thing trying him you know to get him to wherever he needs to go after that so yeah not the not the sort of the strongest episode, I don't think, that we're going to see, but certainly a yeah a good setup, I would say. Yeah, I would agree, man. And I think it's um, a couple of things off the back of that. Great points, and I, I think it's clear that it was a big benefit that they made the first episode fifty minutes long, rather than dropping two episodes and, and kind of quote unquote wasting another episode on it. Um, so I'm grateful that they did that because of all that setup that was required. Like you said, that's out of the way and it's not taking another episode up. But also it wasn't just forced through in like 30 minutes. So that that was a very interesting decision. Um, and I think you're right with, with, with the Marshall as well. You know, there's a lot of Easter eggs in this particular episode. And I think using someone like Cobb Vanth, but also bringing it back to Tatooine. Like if you're going to do a slow episode, steep it in law so that people are all right with it being slow. Because you it's sort of like... Um, you sort of bounce along from one Easter egg to the next, you know, and it's sort of like, okay, 10 minutes without an Easter egg, boom, there's an Easter egg, I'll bounce along and I'll be all right for 10 minutes. Because um, there was a lot of Easter eggs in that, you know, Cobb Van Th- himself, you know, I was fascinated when I first came across this character in the Aftermath books. It was a prologue or an epilogue or a side story in, in one of the Chuck Wendig trilogy books. Um, and he, he told that story, how he basically... He, he came by the armour and became this little kind of outpost marshal. And, you know, very Western. You know, the entire episode had a very Western vibe to it. Everything from the kind of soft Spanish, Mexican-style guitar, um, you know, that kind of New Mexico feel to it. There was a lot of that acoustic guitar soundtrack to it. Um, a lot of very Mexican standoff stuff, a lot of very Clint Eastwood stuff, uh, you know, everything from them looking to have a duel in the bar. Um, that, that was all very much on purpose because of this Cobb Van character and the way the Mando is... is, is is almost shown as this kind of Roland Deschain style gunslinger character. Um, 
So it was fascinating to see all of that come into into play because this this is what I kind of liked about it was that like there was no reason to use Cobb Vanth apart from just the fact that if you're going to bring Boba Fett into it, that's where his armor is. It's in canon. Like that's in the book that he's got the armor, and we got a little bit of the backstory. And I, I do, you know what I'm like. I love that interconnectivity. So I, I, I'm I'm grateful that he was a character in that. And I think Timothy Olyphant, whilst frankly I didn't think his acting was great in that. Um, I think he's a big enough actor and a big enough name and a damn good looking bugger that he will, <laughs> it's inevitable that he's going to pop up again. You know, he's got to pop up again. When the Mando's looking for allies, he's going to round him up. You know, he's got to do. Um, so I, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. I thought that was really, really well done. Um, a couple of little, little Easter eggs, dude. What about the pod racer? Pod racer. Yeah. Do you think that's, do you think that's Anakin's? sort of leftover part of this because a lot of people are saying because I don't think it is you know I don't think it is either no. it didn't look like Anakin's wrong colour scheme even think I think it was a wrong layout slightly yeah yeah it's um it was a lovely little tease put it that way it was uh, I think it got a lot of people scratching their heads especially people who haven't seen the prequels in years they're like oh nuts is that Anakin's is that one half of his pod racer it was really cool to see that stuff though um because I did at first, like my immediate reaction was, holy crap, they really are going deep with the the history and the lore and stuff because um, uh, Cobb Vanth, when he's going through the voiceover for how he got the armour, we obviously get the obvious stuff, which is he mentions the taking down of the second Death Star and, and all that lot. So that's really cool. But then when we visually see like his speeder uh, bike thingy, um, with the front half of it being just like Anakin's um, pod racer engine, I was like, "Holy crap! They are—they're definitely going deep on it." But then I thought, oh, "Hold on, it doesn't quite. Something is off about it. It looks great, but it doesn't quite look like Anakin's. We could be all wrong, and it—it it is. But I don't know, man. What do you think? It doesn't quite look right. I don't know. Actually, I've just done another quick Google of, of Anakin's pod race because, frankly, I've not seen it for a while. And do you know what? It actually does look like one of the engines. It does look it like really it. really actually yeah. does. And it just looks like it's missing one fin. That is it. And obviously it's got a paint job. It's got a different paint job and stuff. But you know what? It might be. It does look startlingly similar now. It's just got a different paint job and a little bit of different fairing. I mean, that is, that's a pretty sweet detail if that's the case. Um, and it, it does, it does. I mean, yeah, if you're listening to this, let us know what you think on Twitter, rebellion underscore spark. Let us know because... It could be, dude. It could be. It could be. And I hope they don't tell us as well, if that sounds weird. I, I hope they don't officially say that is Anakin's leftover pod racer. It would be lovely just to have that as one of those things where fans argue about it for like decades, you know. Yeah, it, it really doesn't need to be answered, does it? And, you know, it's just one of those nice little things. But it does look like it. It's one of those, you know, it's the thing that Star Wars does best is is create debate. And uh, speaking of debate, dude, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was really the star of the show was the Easter egg at the end. Um, mm. You know, this is a huge spoiler. So if you haven't seen it, stop now. Everything else you can get back from, but this one you ain't coming back from unless you can crawl out of the Sarlacc pit yourself. Because <laughs> all the way throughout season one, we saw the gunslinger, which I think was the episode. Was it the gunslinger? Was it called the gunslinger? It's called something like that. Um, we saw the cowboy boots, didn't we? Mm -hmm. At the end of one of the episodes on Tatooine. And when they went back to Tatooine at the beginning of this episode, I thought, hang fire, here we go. Here we go. This is what we're getting. 
And sure enough, when Cobb Vance turns up, he's not wearing the boots. He's just got the armour. He's got Boba Fett's armour. That's all he's got. He's not got the boots. And interesting side note on that. I love it that uh, Timothy Oliphant's character, Cobb Vance, said that, you know, if you get this back to the Mandalorians, tell them that I didn't do this big dent in the armour in, in the <laughs> helmet. I thought that was a nice little little Easter egg, which, we, you know, we've seen that uh, in the Clone Wars and Rebels. That's popped up like three or four times now. So I quite liked that. That was, that was a nice little th- throwback. But Oliphant's character, Cobb Vance, didn't have the boots on. No boots. So who's got the boots on? And we'd heard the rumours. It wasn't, it wasn't even confirmed, dude. Like, we didn't get any confirmation of this happening whatsoever. But right at the end we get a character with a bald head scoping out that there Mandalorian as he drove back to the Razor Crest with Boba Fett's armour. And as the stranger turned around, of course, it was Tamura Morrison playing, probably, Boba Fett. What say thee, sir? The scar-faced Boba Fett, played by, just brilliantly, like, fantastically, by Tamura Morrison. What are we saying? Is that Boba? Ah, dude, I bloody love this, man. I knew you were going to ask this question as well. It's, um, uh, I don't think it is, man. You think it's Rex? I think, or Cody? It, I think it's Rex. <laughs> I think it's Rex without the beard. I think you might be right. Yeah. Do you know what? I think it's one of those things that, um, that Filoni and Favreau and all those other people, they've been so clever with it because I think that the way it's been done, they've said, right, everybody is going to think that that's, that's Boba Fett. Everybody is going to assume that's Boba. And we're going to throw a curveball. Like some point throughout the season, we're going to turn it on its head. Um, Boba Fett didn't survive the Sarlacc pit. This is actually a clone and it's linked with Ahsoka because we know Ahsoka is going to be in this. It's going to, I, re- I reckon it's going to be Rex, but they've just made him look like something's happened to him while he's been on Tatooine. So he's lost the kind of uh, cheeky sort of look about him. He's lost the beard and stuff. And yeah, something's going to happen. So I d- I'd, I'd like it to be Boba Fett on one hand, but I don't think it is, dude. What about you? I am with you. I think it's too on the nose that it's Boba Fett because, and frankly, like I don't think Boba Fett's that interesting a character because then you'd have to go through the whole, well, he's not really a Mandalorian. Why did you get that armour? And then there's the whole throwdown with the Mando and Boba Fett because that's not really his armour. Blah, blah, blah. And like, that's all right. That's good. But it's not as interesting as, you know, I was there at the Siege of Mandalore. Like, it's not as interesting as that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know about this Darksaber because I've seen someone with it. Like, it's not as interesting. Like, Boba Fett is not, sadly, not as interesting as any of that. And, you know, we've, we've never seen, apart from in Rebels, uh, sorry, back in the Clone Wars and, 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 and the prequels, you know, we've not seen grown-up Boba Fett without his helmet. Um, and I agree, it just feels too obvious. If you're Dave Filoni and John Favreau, why would you do that? And then it does, you know, it, it, it links into so much else, it not being Boba Fett. Brings in Sabine Wren, who, you know, I think, I don't know, this is complete speculation, but a lot of the graffiti looked a lot, very much like Sabine Wren's kind of work from Rebels as well. So there's all these little Easter eggs that you see. You know, there was even uh, a a little 3PO style bit of graffiti in there as well. So there's lots of little, if you want to look for it, there's a lot of other things that link to other characters like Sabine Wren. Um, And like Boba Fett has never really interested me. Like he's a cool character, but he's almost... He's more interesting without anything else going on. 
he's more interesting just as that guy that got bounced into the Sarlacc pit. But then on the <laughs> flip side of that, you know, you had Cobb Van Timothy Oliphant saying, well, yeah, this crate Dragon, he ate the Sarlacc. You know, that crate Dragon's ate the Sarlacc. And then you had, let's be clear, man, the entire episode was contrived around the fact that, oh, look, someone with Mandalorian gear can blow up the belly of a giant beast that's eaten it. Like, it was, it, the, it was totally contrived around that entire idea of, if you have Mandalorian armor, you can get out of the belly of a beast. That was the point of that entire episode. Mm. So I don't know, man. It's like, is it a double bluff? But then <laughs> Boba feels too obvious. Yeah, it does. It does feel too obvious. And I think they would like, that's the other thing, as well as, as, well as those guys saying the whole world's going to think it is. They're probably saying along with that, and we'd like them to think it is for now. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're going to throw you a bit of a, a change up later on. So I'm with you, man. It just feels like there's, there's some elements of it that are like, actually, yeah, this does make sense because this whole concept of if you've got the Mandalorian armor and stuff and your jetpack and whatever else you've got as a Mandalorian, you can escape this huge beast or a similar size, huge beast and whatnot. But then, yeah, I don't know. Like you said, I love the fact that the Boba Fett character that we, well, as it stands of right now, we still don't know. I love the mystique around that character. And it's a bit like the whole pod racer thing that could be or couldn't be Anakin's. Sometimes you just, you've got to let those things just be lost to the endless years of conversation and debate around Star Wars fans. Because if you reveal everything, then there's nothing, there's nothing to speculate on, which is kind of boring. So I think they want us to think it's Boba Fett for now. And interestingly, I don't know who manages the uh, the Wikipedia stuff, but on Wikipedia, the very final description of the episode is, meanwhile, a heavily scarred Boba Fett, played by Tamira Morrison, watches from afar. So somebody on Wikipedia has, has said this is Boba Fett, but I don't know on the legitimacy of, uh, of the old wiki these days. No, man. And, you know, think about it. If you're... Ahsoka or Sabine Wren and, 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 you know, Rex, and you get wind of someone in Mandalorian armour looking after something that looks to be the former Jedi Grandmaster. You are going to try and find it, and you're going to be watching the Mando. And you're not watching the Mando because he's got the Mando armour. You're watching it because he's got the kid, and you're tracking the kid because it's, it looks like the greatest Jedi that you knew that died five years ago. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's so much to it, man. Now, what's, I mean, there's so many other options with this as well, you know, that because it's Tamura Morrison, because Django and Bobber and Rex and Cody and Fives and they were all clones, it could be one of ten different things. It could be, it could be playing five characters, you know? It, it, could, it could be neither of them. It, mm. it, it could just be a random clone that's there on Tatooine has survived whatever and it's gone solo. We don't know. It, it, it could be a massive curveball and like they've got us speculating on which clone it is, but could be a completely different. It's probably not, but like you said, he's a clone and that's the whole very nature of that whole thing. It's, you know, it's like a pick a card situation, you know? So yeah, it's interesting, man. It's really interesting. Um, and, and I think I'm hoping it's Rex. I really do, because I think that opens up a bit more connectivity with some of the other characters that we know are coming later on in the season, whereas Boba's a bit more of an isolated, yeah, he's got a bit of cool history and stuff, 
but that's it. That's where the story is. He's got like a one track story arc, in my opinion, within canon anyway. Whereas Rex, I think his connection with Ahsoka and all that whole other thing within Rebels and Clone Wars and all of that stuff, that opens up a lot more doors for um, for character development and how things can change uh, throughout the rest of the season if it is Rex. Um, so yeah, so I'm hoping it's Rex, but I don't know. I don't know. It's fascinating, man. Like there's so many options with this. You know, imagine, you know, Rex five years down the wire after getting off Endor and tracking this little green thing with Ahsoka suddenly bumps into someone that looks like everyone he fought alongside, you know, and, and, and things he's not seen, you know, people he's not seen for years and look just like him. And, 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 and it's Boba Fett. I mean, there's so many layers to this if they really want to go down that path. Um, and let's be honest, dude, they did this last year. What is that green thing? It looks like Yoda. It was the end of season, uh, season one, episode one. They've done it again. Maybe not to the, to, to the, to the degree with which, you know, the child had the impact, but certainly amongst the geek culture, you know, you and me and the people that love the depth of Star Wars, this is as big a debate. This is, as, right now, this is as big a debate. So fair play to the writers on that one. And I, 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 I don't see it being as clear cut as we imagine it to be. So I think this is going to be very, very interesting to watch it play out. And thankfully, you know, we get episodes weekly. So that's that's pretty badass. Now, Dude, there were a couple of things in, in, in the episode as well that, that I thought were really, really sweet. Some really, really interesting, like just little Easter eggs and also just things that I thought were just ultimate badassery. Uh, number one, just a cute little Easter egg when Mando Din Djarin just, you know, he belts the jetpack of of uh, Cobb Vanth and just sends him shoot. Like that was definitely a throwback <laughs> to Han Solo shooting the jetpack by accident. Um, you know, sends him off and oh, that the bloody armor's at it again. You know what I mean? Watch out for the Sarlacc. You know, just little things like that were quite cute. And uh, the one thing that I did want to pick up on, though, was the choreography in this one. Um, in particular, the fight scene at the uh, the Gamorrean Fight Club where Mando gets ambushed. And, you know, he wipes them out. But it's like they put the foot down on the choreography a little bit with this one. Like, they, it was a little John Wick in places where you know, someone, one of the villains would hit Mando in the head and he would actually, he would go for the, the getting punched in the head because he knew his armor then would bounce back and take the other guy out and or break the chap's hand that hit him. Like there was a lot of very well thought out choreography in this. That yeah, Don't get me wrong, season one was great for that stuff, but it was very much, let's lean into what this guy is good at, which is using everything that he's got on his person to actually take these people down. And it, they're only little things, but dude, they really add to that mystique of this badass warrior that we see. Uh, and when he opens up, when he lets it rip, you know, we get to see what he can do. So I thought there was a, you know, a few cool little bits with that as well, man. I thought it was really well thought out. Yeah, indeedy. I think that's down to uh, Mr. Favreau having the director's chair on this one. Because let's not forget, a lot of people think he was directing a lot of season one. This is the first episode he's actually directed because he was exec producer and writer on season one, but has never actually got the chance to um to direct an episode yet. So um, you can tell that all the learnings and all that cool stuff from season one, he's, in, he's immediately put to work in this one because we kind of had this a little bit in chapter one of season one, you know, when he's he goes into the bar and there's uh, the the guy that he's actually after is sat at the table and then there's like these big goons and stuff. They approach him at the bar and that little fight kicks off, but it only happens for about 30 seconds. He like disarms a couple of them and then he uh, rope tackles the dude, drags him in the door and then shoots the thing and the door shuts. So that was really cool. And exact, almost the same thing happens here where 
he can tell that things imminently is going to go down and he's ready for it. But we get like a couple of minutes worth of a decent scrap in this one. So yeah, the, the choreography, the fight stuff, that was really cool. We just, it's just a shame we didn't see a little bit more of it because after that point, after he, after he goes out and he, um, he leaves that guy hanging from the, from the lamppost, which is very cool. Everything else from that point on is all crate dragon, right? Sand people stuff. So maybe we'll get some more tasty, some tasty fight club stuff um, throughout the rest of the season. But definitely, man, like the, 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 the direction from Favreau was, was top notch, man. And the, the, the choreography, sorry, was really, really cool. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely. So overall, a really strong opening episode. Yeah, the pacing may be a little slow in places, but like you said, I think it's good to get that out of the way. I think it's good that it was a 50-minute episode, and I think a heck of a lot of it is set up. Everything from the Tuscan Raiders through to uh, Bobber X, we'll call him for now, through to just Timothy Oliphant's Cobb Vanth, and just the entire thing. You know, it was a little light on Baby Yoda, which is understandable. You know, we don't want to get too deep into the mythology. A um, couple of, you know, just a lot of little Easter eggs, everything from the Weequay serving behind the uh, the cantina bar. I thought it was Hondo. I half expected, like, Hondo's <laughs> voice to come out um, from the Clone Wars. Sadly not. Um, did, you hear the, um, he was- did you hear the... I'm pretty sure they used the same or a very similar or a combination of sound clips for the crate dragon than mm-hmm. uh, as they did on the, the most previous release of a new hope on the Blu-ray set, you know, when Obi-Wan fakes the call, um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they used almost the sound that the same sound clip and like just made a couple of variations of it and stuff. So again, that's felonious that part of it, because it, you know, it's law stuff. It links back into the old films and stuff. And, yeah, just like you said, man, just tons of like little mini Easter eggs littered throughout. Uh, so I think we're, I think we've not seen the best of season two yet. I think this is a great start, really solid start, but I think there are lots and lots of really cool stuff coming up, dude. I agree, man. And it's, you know, it's phrased as chapters. What I liked about it was, you know, this was chapter nine. It wasn't chapter one of season two. It was chapter nine, the Marshall. Um, and I, that's one interesting part of, uh, you know, we've talked about this with the prequels and even to a degree the sequel trilogy, but ultimately the idea that Star Wars is is it's chapters of one big story, even back to Lucas's original idea of R2 telling it to the wills back in the day um, and, and chronicling, you know, the story of the Skywalkers. Yeah, it, it really is kind of back to that, let's view this as one whole and just lap up each chapter at a time, but, you know, never take the bigger picture um, out of our minds. So... It's good to see Mandalorian leaning into that and, and actually just using that approach to its benefit. So, really strong starter, man. Um, yeah, re- I think we've both got high praise for it um, and, and, and looking forward to what season two brings. So, look, if you enjoyed it, let us know out there. We're going to stick a pin in it right there. I think it's going to be interesting for the next few weeks not to... Uh, I think it's going to be difficult for us not to slip into review mode every episode. So, if there is news, we'll try and cover it as well. But, look, you know, the Mandalorian's out every week. We record the day after it drops on Disney+. Plus, So I think it's going to be very difficult for us not to drop into Mandalorian review mode, which I know you don't mind, really. So thanks for listening. As always, we really appreciate it. Let us know what you think over on Twitter, at rebellion underscore spark. If you do want to get involved with a little bit of support, just help us to produce the show, help us with some swag, you know, stick it on the old laptop, do so over at patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion. And Gaz and I 
will be back next week. Gaz, it's a pleasure, dude. Thank you very much, as always. Thank you to you too, buddy. It's been great driving the Falcon and going through uh, Chapter 9 of the Mando, um, which I've been hugely excited about, as we all have. So um, we will see you guys next week, as we, as Mark said, we're likely going to cover these for the majority of our next um, uh, eight weeks. So um, hope you guys enjoy Chapter 10 next week. We'll, we'll cover that next Saturday. Until then, take care of yourselves, stay healthy and safe, and may the Force be with you always. <laughs>